okay? It's an annual event. We only run it over three days every January. The universe. What is the thing? What else? What do you, what do you want most out of everything? Yeah. The whole world? What would anyone else? Yes? What do you want? You want heaven? Such spiritual kids. I want to tell you a story about a little girl called Lisa. And Lisa wanted something so bad. Do you know what she wanted? Well, let me tell you about Lisa. Lisa was about nine years old. And for the last seven years, she had been living in an orphanage. What's an orphanage? Who knows what an orphanage is? That's right. It's a place where kids without parents go. And Lisa said, Oh, the thing I want more than anything else in the whole world is a mum or a dad. And she used to, every year, she would cry and say, How come I don't have a mum or a dad? And there were other kids that would come in and adults would come and they'd say, I'm going to adopt this child. And every time somebody left the orphanage and went home to a new family, Lisa just cried her eyes out. Because she wanted to have a mum. And one day her best friend, Bobby, was taken home, was adopted by someone. And Lisa was so sad. And she went into her room and she just cried the whole night. And she cried and she said and she cried to God and said, God, I want to have a family too. It's not fair. And do you know what happened? It took a long time. She'd been there for many years. But I think that God heard her cry because she was adopted. And one day she went home and she had this lovely mum and lovely dad who cared so much for her. And you know what? In the same way God has adopted us. Because all of us are part of his family. But you know what? Your mum and dad are going to hear, if they're here this morning, they're going to hear the story of somebody who wanted something just as bad. And I want you to go home this afternoon and say, Mum or Dad, what was the story that you heard? What did that person want? And what happened? Okay, off to Sunday school. Sort of like being a jockey. You get riding instructions as you come to the starting line. (laughs) 1 Samuel chapter 1, reading the whole chapter. But not chapter 2 you'll be pleased to hear. 
There was a certain man from Ramathon, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was Hannah, the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. And you can probably guess what Hannah wanted and the story you're going to tell your kids this afternoon. Year after year, this man went from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all his sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because of the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they'd finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long are you going to keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the Lord of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. And she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Earlier the next morning they rose and worshipped before the Lord and went back to their town in Ramah. Alkanah lay with his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. And in the course of time she conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifices, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you. 
Elkanah, her husband, said, Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took him with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli and said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this son, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are our Father. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our King and that you are the one who saved us. Lord, we pray now that as we turn and we, we look into, into what you have said to us today in your word that, that you would help us to understand. Lord, I, I pray that, that that this word of yours would sink into our souls, into our heads, into our lives and our minds. Holy Spirit, may your words be spoken this morning. Amen. The last couple of weeks we've been looking at what God and the Bible has to say about growing godly families. We've discovered that, that our homes, our families are very important to God. We saw last week that, that God wants the Christian home to be a mirror to our spiritual family. He wants the home to mirror the relationship that he has with his church. And I think we've seen over the weeks that, that God sees the Christian home as an outpost of his kingdom in our communities. This morning as we look at the first uh, chapter, the first two chapters of Samuel, we'll see that God has something to say about our families here too. It's a great book, Samuel. It's one of those books that you can just read. And um, I love reading. This is a reading book. It's got adventure. It's got drama. It's got romance. It's got battles. It's got everything. We're doing it uh, in the Monday Night Bible Study. And it is just brilliant. But this morning, as the book starts, it, it begins in a weird way. The book of Samuel begins with the story of Hannah and her husband Elkanah and his extended family. It's, it's the story of the birth of the prophet Samuel. And you probably, if, if you've been in the church for a while, you might have heard the story before. If you have... Try and listen to it again. See what God is saying to us about our priorities in our families. So the book begins, chapter 1, verse 1, by telling us about this man, 
Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Saf. The story of Elkanah, the father of Samuel. Now, hands up if you remember the name Elkanah before this morning. Okay. Apart from all the Bible college students, Elkanah is a weird character. You know, apart from these two chapters, chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel, and 1 Chronicles chapter 6, he's not mentioned in the rest of the Bible. This is all that we hear of him. And and that reference in 1 Chronicles 6 is just a name in a list of genealogies. And even in these two chapters, he doesn't do all that much. And yet God sees fit to use Elkanah, father of Samuel, as the opening character in the book of Samuel. That genealogy in 1 Chronicles chapter 6 tells us that Elkanah was a direct descendant of Levi. He was, according to his his family line, a priest of God, but, but, but in reality, most of the time, he was just an ordinary everyday man living out in the hill country. So what makes this man worthy of starting the whole book? I'd like to suggest simply Elkanah was the father of Samuel. That's it. That's all that Elkanah does. We We hear about his family life. We hear that he fathers Samuel. Samuel leaves home. Elkanah's out of the picture. And he's not the perfect father. By by no means is he the perfect father or husband. I mean, we just look at chapter 1 and his home was such a mess. I think when he married Samuel's mother, Hannah, he he married her for love. She was his first wife. Uh, she's listed first. He married Hannah and then he married Peninnah. And for Elkanah, Hannah really was the love of his life. He valued her love more than anything else in the world. Verse 8, he says to her in that classic line, Hannah, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Aren't I so special to you, Hannah? What a blokey thing to say, isn't it? But you know, at the same time, despite his obvious love for Hannah, this man Elkanah just couldn't live with the fact that Hannah was barren. He couldn't live with the fact that that there were no cries to wake him up in the middle of the night. The Bible tells us that he loved Hannah. But he didn't love her enough to put up with her not giving him an heir. Back then, fathering an heir was, was, was just something that you had to do. It's, it's the most important thing a father could do. Your, your heir would continue your family line. And the book starts by, by telling us of, of, of Elkanah's family line and his descendants. Can you imagine how he would have felt if it said, and the line finished with Elkanah? He loved Hannah, but not enough 
to destroy his family heritage. As far as he saw it. And so he took another wife. He, he married Penina and she gave birth to, to quite a few kids. And Elkanah had his heir. He was happy. But we read through chapter 1 and his home was such an unhappy place for Hannah. I mean, wife number two, Peninnah, made Hannah's life a living hell. I am sure that Peninnah knew the only reason Elkanah had married her was so that she could give him some kids. She must have known that Elkanah didn't love her the way that he loved Hannah. And it seems to me, reading through this, that Peninnah resented Hannah. We're told in verse 6 that, that she was Hannah's rival. We're told that every year when they went off to, to make their yearly sacrifices to God at Shiloh, Peninnah would provoke and irritate and, and, and you know, just, just scratch at, at Hannah. So much so that, that every year Hannah would would, would push away her plate of food and would walk away in tears. And Elkanah would come and he'd give her an extra slice of meat. <laughs> Double portion at the Thanksgiving meal after the sacrifice. And what sort of compensation was that? Peninnah's children were sitting at the same table. And Peninnah was sitting at the same table. I mean, a, a, a living reminder saying to Hannah, you weren't enough for your husband. But Elkanah loved her, so he gave her extra food. As if that is going to make it all right. Well done, Elkanah. Brilliant stuff. There's no way that Elkanah was a perfect husband. He did some stupid stuff. He's, he's quite insensitive actually. And yet God introduces the book of Samuel with Elkanah. Because despite it all, Elkanah was a man committed to God and a man committed to bringing his children up in godliness. Year after year after year, without fail, Elkanah took his family to Shiloh to sacrifice to God. In effect, this father took his kids along to church on a regular basis and, and he demonstrated to them the importance of obeying God. He, he showed them what it means to be faithful to God. He did some stupid things, but I think Deep down, Elkanah was just a godly man doing his best to raise godly children. And yet here we've got Hannah. Verse 9 tells us how, how one particular year at Shiloh, things were as usual going badly for Hannah. She was feeling low. She was feeling useless. The Bible tells us that her soul was bitter. She felt the weight of her childlessness. She probably felt some sense of guilt that, that she hadn't been able to give a child to Elkanah. 
If the song had been invented, she probably would have been singing, It isn't fair, I want my share. Or however that song goes. I'm not going to sing it to you. <laughs> and this particular year, she, they were all at the table eating after the sacrifice and, and she pushed away her plate. And she made her way into the temple, into the church and, and she just fell to that floor and she wept. And she bawled her eyes out. And she cried and she prayed and she cried and she prayed and, and she cried and she prayed some more. I mean, she was emotionally just racked. And as she cried there on the floor, she made a promise to God that, that if He replaced her misery with joy, if He gave her a child, she would give that child back to Him for the rest of His life. And she kept on praying. Verse 12 says, she kept on. Her misery kept on finding expression in prayer. Hannah prayed to God for her child. And it's interesting to me that, that even before there was a, well, even before he was conceived, Hannah dedicated her child to God. Hannah recognized that children are always a gift from God. Psalm 127 verse 3 tells us that, that children are a heritage from the Lord. And yes, Samuel was going to be a special child to be a, a prophet of the Lord who would, who would inaugurate the, the kingdom from which David would come and eventually the line of Jesus. But, but all children are a gift from God. And before his heart began to beat, Hannah decided that this child of hers would be God's child. On her unborn son's behalf, she promised him to the Lord. Isn't that the kind of promise that God would have all of us make, I think? To say, Lord, you have given us these children. I dedicate their lives to you. You know the story. Uh, um, they went home and, and, and Hannah conceived the child and, and she gave birth to Samuel. But jump back just, just quickly to, to chapter 1, verse 13 says to us, Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard. And Eli, stupid man, thought she was drunk. We're told that when Hannah went to pray in the temple she was praying in her heart. When Hannah made this promise to God Give me a son and I'll give him back to you. Nobody heard her promise. The priest Eli assumed that she'd been asking God something. But he had no clue that she had promised to give her son back to God. Wouldn't it have been so easy for Hannah to just, you know, just, just 
slide over that little promise. Pretend it never happened. It would have been so easy to not give Samuel up. And yet, Hannah doesn't shy away from her promise. You know, as much as she must have longed to keep her son home, this this son that she had been waiting for for so many years, as much as she must have longed for that, she gave him over to the Lord. As soon as Samuel was old enough and physically capable of leaving his mother, she would take him to Shiloh and he would serve the Lord for the rest of his days. Because Hannah knew, and Elkanah supported her, verse 22 says, Hannah knew that God comes first. And the years passed, maybe three or four years, until he was weaned. And he must have known that one of these days he was going to go to the temple and he was going to stay there. Probably looked forward to it the way that that kids look forward to going to primary school. I'm going to go to the temple soon, Mum. And the time came and and the family went to Shiloh and they worshipped God and Samuel stayed behind and we're told at the end of chapter 1 he worshipped the Lord there. Parents, can you imagine putting yourself in Hannah or Elkanah's shoes and walking the the 25 kilometres away from your five-year-old son? not to be seen again for another whole year. And of course, Hannah still cared for, for Samuel. We're told in chapter 2, verse 19, that, that every year she went along and she, she took him a, a, a robe that she had made for him for the year to come. She cared greatly for her son. I don't think you ever really stop being a parent, but, but I think what Hannah and Elkanah teach us, when it comes to our families, God comes first. And it sounds obvious and you're sitting there saying, what are you telling us this, Nick? Of course, God comes first. But is that so in practice? Chapter 2, if you get a chance, read it at home, tells us the story of another family. These first two chapters are a tale of two families. We've seen Hannah and Elkanah Now we turn and we see the priest, Eli. Here we have a man of God who's who's dedicated his whole life to serving the Lord. Who has committed himself to putting God first. But if you read through chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, the reality was that Eli put his sons first and God second. His sons, Hophni and Phineas. I don't know what they were drinking when they came up with names back then. Terrible stuff. His, his two sons, Hophni and Phineas, were, were wicked men. They were men who had no respect for God. I mean, yes, they, they served in the temple at Shiloh, but, but they only did it for the fringe benefits. They were out to get the good food, the best meat, 
the stuff that would have been for God. And we're told actually that, that they were in it for a good time with the girls who, who waited in front of the temple. Eli's sons went well and truly off the rails. They'd been brought up in a good, godly home. And they went off the rails. And I know that there are some people in the congregation today who would be sitting here saying, Oh, I can feel for Eli. I know there are people here who have brought up your kids in a Christian household and they've left. I came across some stats from a couple of years ago, um, US stats, but I think they're the same here. They reckon in Protestant churches, something like 70% of young people will leave the church. Just under 20% when they were interviewed and questioned said that they left because they'd only been going to please somebody else. Might have had all the right teachings. Best example of faithfulness. And they leave. And it's tough. And we read in chapter 2 that, that Eli, Eli knew what his sons were up to. And he went to them and he, he spoke to them and he said, Guys, do you not realize that you're dealing with God here? You go and try and pull a fast one on, a, on another bloke, somebody will mediate. Somebody will stand in for you. You go and pull a fast one on God. What do you do? It's a stupid thing to do. And yet Eli, we're told, in chapter 2, loved his sons more than he loved God. The matter of the fact is that that Eli put up with their, their wicked ways. He let them continue to abuse their priestly office. They used to go and stick a fork into the pot and, and pull out the best kind of meat that they could find. The stuff that, that should have gone to God. And they'd take it home and Eli would look at it and say, this is not the right meat, but I love you boys, let's eat. And the end result we read towards the end of chapter 2 that, that a, a prophet of God comes along. Let me read chapter 2 verse 29 to you. The man of God came to Eli and said to him, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Eli was a, a good, godly man who had served God faithfully for years. But when push came to shove, his children were more important. And children are important, they're a gift, but, but for Eli they were more important than God. In practice, he didn't put God first. In practice, Hannah put God first. 
I wonder whether in your home, your household, God comes first. Theory is great. God comes first. Everyone put your hands up. But in practice. First two chapters of, of the book of Samuel tell us the story of two families. One who put God first despite the cost of giving up a much longed, a much loved and much longed for son. And another family, despite years of obedience, put God second. Mark 10, chapter 28, Peter said to Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Anna Marie. When I was on holidays, I couldn't download emails. I probably could have, but I wouldn't have known how to. But anyway, when I come back, I downloaded emails and there were lots of prayer emails going around for Jonathan. And um, I see you're at church today, so praise God for his healing. And, um, and I know a lot of people were praying for you, so it's good to see you here. Let's sing. Let's put God number one and sing to him, Bless the Lord, O my soul.
awesome and sovereign Lord. Father God, we just pray that we will be able to put you first in our lives, in our actions, in our decisions, in our thoughts. And I know, Lord, that when when we do that, your blessings will flow through that. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Please enjoy fellowship and encouragement and sharing of good things and maybe hard times too over a cup of tea and coffee. <laughs>